From Suffolk County, New York, this program is sponsored in part by WUSB, Long Island's largest non-commercial free-form radio station. Check them out at 90.1 FM or online at WUSB.FM. Previously on Writers Come Ice Cream. My name is Howard Gunston, and I want to be a writer when I grow up. Star Wars, the rebirth. But I want to be the capital kind. How do we get there? If I kick my ass into gear and write, how do I turn this love of writing into a career? The biggest thing is to actually write. Matt found local media outlets disinclined to review his book, much less announce the release of it, because he was self-published. You open your own business. Oh, good luck. I'll support you. You wrote your own book and self-published it? Amateur. Yes, you have this publisher, but you got to work and you got to do your thing. You got to tweet. You got to Instagram. You got to MySpace and Friendster. Is it really possible for a debut author from a small house to get noticed in a big way? This is Writer's Comma Ice Cream, a weekly craft talk where a pair of scribblers risk brain freeze to answer one question. What's it take to be a writer? family was formed out of the blue. My version of the stork, only this stork exchanged a life for a life, had an engine and silver wings. This is Judy Mandel, reading from her debut book, The The Replacement Child. At first I thought it was only a fire that took away my sister, and I wondered for a long time what started the blade. It's a memoir that began life as a self-published book in 2009. Before the accident, I would hear my mother say on the phone, or after the accident, It was a way to tell time. Four years later, the replacement child returned to bookshelves with a new cover and a new publisher, a traditional publisher, Seal Press. I intuited the pain they felt in watching Linda go through so much physical and psychological turmoil. So how did she do it? Judy managed what so many writers struggle with. She found readers, lots of them, thousands of them, and then... She did it again. Let's actually talk about you, you, talk about that kind of career trajectory for you, because I, you know, you were in corporate communications for a while, um, and and now you know you are New York Times best-selling author, Judy. Which, by the way, does that get old ever hearing that? <laughs> no, no, you could say that as much as you want. <laughs> we will drop it several more times. Trust me. <laughs> But I mean, that's such a cool thing, and and every time and the, every time I hear it, I think, who are they talking about? <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, you've got this title under your belt now, and you've got this book under your belt, and you are running um, a writing retreat that's coming up. Yeah, next week. Right. So, Judy, at what point did at what point did you settle? You know what? I'm a writer, and that's my that's my job. That was hard. It was hard to say that, that that's what I did. For a long time, I never said it to anybody because, you know, if you've tried it, you, you kind of get the look like, wow, what have you written? <laughs> yeah, I hate that question. Yeah. But it's such a natural reaction for someone to say, I feel like. Sure. Like, what do you yeah. want them to say? <laughs> right. That's right. So, and then, you know, then you have to go from there. 
Um, so it took a while for me to, to say that and, and even to admit that I was writing this, this book when I was in the middle of it. Um, it took it took a while to tell friends. I mean, you know, thank heavens my husband didn't laugh at me or else I probably never would have written it. <laughs> it's a good thing that, that he didn't just break out into, you know, hysterics. But um, I think one of my friends said to me that she, when she came to my house and she saw my hallway lined with bulletin boards and um, notes on, on, you know, like the whole hallway, the whole house was like filled with it. She realized I was serious. And up until then, she didn't. (laughs) (laughs) When the book becomes the home decor, that's the sign of commitment. Yeah, when it takes over the, the entire house. Yeah. I ha- well, I had been entertaining the idea for probably, you know, 30 years. And, See, uh, and, I, and I love <laughs> hearing that. I love hearing that because literally for me, I can trace back the seeds of, of some things that I want to do like 20 years. And oh, then it's yeah. like, I'm like, how, sure. how is it 20 years later? Well, and then, you know, I got to a point where I said, you know, I, I, I don't have all the time in the world. And, you know, time is running out here. <laughs> and uh, I think that's what I think that's what made me really get serious about it. And uh, uh, really, what what did it was facing mortality and and the fact that my parents had passed away that year, both of so, them. So, so, do you think that it was like finding actually the right project was what finally kind of kicked your ass into gear to do it? I think it was a sense that this was the book I had to write, mm. that I was that. That it was just something I couldn't leave undone. That, now, when you did it for me, yeah, and I, so it's interesting because I definitely, I definitely had the sense that you were like it kept kind of pulling at you. Um, yeah. Because I think you had even mentioned at some point that you, you know, you had some maybe other ideas that you were thinking about writing, and yet this project, like you just, it would, wouldn't leave your mind, and you kept like pulling out the box and looking through it. Yeah, and I and there was a time when I thought I would write fiction from it from this story and um it soon became clear that i could not do that that it would not it wouldn't be the right book judy's got a project and knows she wants to do something with it if it's not going to be fiction then what the replacement child in addition to telling the story of how judy came to be also offers a revealing look at how a story came to be how a project became a memoir i'm wondering when you started to have the idea that you were going to chase this project, as you called it in the beginning. Um, how did you decide to begin? I had a lot of things that that were in front of me that I began with. Um, the uh, articles, the newspaper articles from the actual event, notes, letters from my parents, from my sister. And so they had, they had, your parents had like kept all that, and yeah. They had kept a lot of it. Um, of course, they didn't keep they didn't keep everything. So what I when I saw there were gaps and I couldn't figure out things that had happened and you know who was there who you know almost died who most you know who survived. Um, I, I, then I realized I needed to go back and fill the, fill in the gaps with with research um, at the library you know online of course now which is so much easier to find out. Um, you know, to find all of the news articles that were written. I'm sure I didn't find all of them, but I did find a lot of them. And any of the records that were 
that were capped, you know, the microfiche that, you know, back then that's what, that's how they kept it. Um, so when I saw the gaps, that's kind of led me to the next step of, of the research. And when I realized I didn't know, and none of the articles said what the reason was for the plane crash, I went back to the, you know, and researched the FAA reports and, and tried to dig that up and anything that was written about, you know, the causes and, um, I actually liked the research. I thought it was it was fun to do the research. <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because I feel like that's you're almost the research, although it's time consuming. That's almost what gets you into and excited about what you're about to be sitting down to do because you've got all this yeah. lush material then. Absolutely, and I think I learned that early on. You know, um, as a, I was a reporter first in my career, and then um, you know any writing that I did, I did marketing writing for years and years. And, you know, just the idea of immersing yourself in the facts first and then, you know, going out from there to figure out how the pieces fit. I always liked doing that. So this this was kind of the same process for me. Judy's process kept the momentum going for her. And 13 drafts later, the hunt for a publisher began. Did you try to query this as through a traditional publisher or did you start off saying, no, I'm going to self-publish? No, I wanted to. I wanted to have an agent. I wanted to have a traditional publisher. Um, and it was when I had finished the draft, it was 2008. And I don't know if you remember 2008, but it was a terrible time for um, anybody to try to do anything that required an investment of, <laughs> of money. Um, so nobody really was they – were, they weren't taking a chance on very many memoirs. And especially somebody that nobody nobody knew and mm-hmm. hadn't written anything before and wasn't famous. What could um, go wrong? But but despite despite that, I I had a lot of interest from from agents, that, and that's where I went first. Was um, I went to um, I went to some conferences and and decided it was an, a good idea to meet people in person and learn about the process because I had no idea. I didn't know how the publishing world worked at all. And um, when I started figuring it out, I started querying the agents that I thought were, um, you know, possibly would be interested. Maybe they'd they'd done memoirs from unknowns before. They've had some success with that. They'd be interested in it. Um, And I did have a number of agents ask for partials of the book and um, a few asked for the whole book. And in the end, nobody took it. And I was giving myself a year. I gave myself a year to do that, and after the year was up, I said, well, I have to decide, you know, do I want this book to be out there or not, and I decided I did, and that's when I decided to self-publish, and I started started my own imprint, actually, to do that. What, what, what does that mean, that you started your own, own imprint? I'm, I am well, clueless about that. I didn't go to one of the, um, you know, like the iUniverse people, the author house, you know, those um, package companies that okay. uh, and and you'll have to forgive me because I'm not sure who's merged with who at this point, <laughs> but because I know there's probably just one giant one now. <laughs> Conglomerate. Um, and I decided since I had a marketing background that I could I could figure it out. I could do it myself. Um, it's turned out to be much harder than I thought, to be very honest. Um, 
but it's doable. And I think actually now, I, you know, I did that in 2009. Now it's probably even easier. Um, you know, I had to figure out all the different formats for ebooks, and uh, I did. I hired a designer for the, you know, cover designer and inter- interior designer. Um, I hired an editor, which I would recommend everybody do <laughs> if they go this route. Um, and I, you know, I did it that way, both a print book and an ebook, and it was available everywhere. Um, Distribution still an issue for self-published books. Um, and it was an issue. You know, the only bookstores that would have it were the ones I went to, and I, I went to a lot of them. Distribution, that elusive golden ticket. By the point Judy's baby hit the shelves, she'd spared no expense in trying to ensure it was ready. Editors, cover artists, designers, she took no chances. But getting a great product to market is one feat of daring do. Getting readers, that's the real trick. Well, I did my own marketing plan, you know, and... Um, you know, branching out from my local media to, you know, whatever other media I could get involved. I did a, uh, I sent out ARCs, you know, uh, review copies for reviews. I did a blog tour. I did a, um, you know, social media tour. And I I actually went on a physical book tour to places where I knew people that would put me up. <laughs> there it is, listener. Step one on the journey to bestseller status. A marketing plan. Let's start first with this idea of the social media tour. How does how do you do a social media tour? Well, I mean the the, the blog tour part of that is is really important to find the um, the blogs that are interested in reviewing books, especially if you're self published. You know there are certain blogs that'll that'll do memoirs. That are, you know they're very interested in in reviewing memoirs. Their readership, um, you know, are interested in those. Um, so the blog tours are, I think, are a really important part, not to be ignored these days. Um, you know, your Facebook, your LinkedIn, your Twitter, and at that point, I was, I was using a lot of the, the ones that were out at that point, um, just to get the word out right. about it. You know, and have, you know, and try to have friends help. You know, put the word out to their audience and and that kind of thing. Um, I did get some interest, you know, with local media. I had some articles and some newspapers here. Um, in now, that's really – Judy, that's an accomplishment because I, another author I was talking to said that when the local media found out it was a self-published book, they were not interested at all. Mm, it is hard. It's very hard. Um, I think they, they got interested in the story itself, mm-hmm. uh, which was which was great. And um, – I, I remember. I actually remember the first time I heard from one of the newspapers. I was at one of the conferences in New York, you know, trying to, you know, make contacts and figure out what I was doing. And I, I got a call, you know, for an interview. And, um, you know, it's just a small local paper, but the affiliates picked it up around here, and you know, got a little more coverage. And every little bit helps. Every little bit helps. But there's one thing she said that really caught my ear local media were interested in the story she had to tell. And so Judy has her first bona fide edge on others who have books to peddle. She's getting free press. You you send out the review copies, you've done um you did the social media tour. How did you approach the the book tour? Was it just like I know a friend in Houston, I'm gonna go to Houston and set up 
like five yeah. books at a bookstore? Like, how'd you do it? Yeah, I, I, I had a, let's see, I had, I had friends in uh, Washington. I had friends in Colorado. I had friends in California. Um, you know, I, I did this circuit around, you know, where I live um, in Connecticut. Listener, here again, Judy's expenses are piling up. She called together her own little national book tour. But to her, it was an investment in her future because, as she says, every little bit helps. But I would call, you know, the, the bookstores that my friends knew in that area, and I would say, and I have to say Borders was great at that point. It was hard to get into Barnes & Noble. Oh, shout out to it, poor Borders. Yeah, poor Borders, I know. Borders. But Borders they, actually, and they Borders, let, Yeah, they were very nice. They let me in, and um, as did independent bookstores. Um, I think I, I was able to get into one Barnes & Noble when I was self-published. Listener, flag that for a moment, will you? She's in one Barnes & Noble bookstore. We're going to return to our friends at B&B in a moment. And that wow. was uh, locally here. Um, and then I went back to the town where, where this all happened. Um, and, you know, Elizabeth and um, actually I didn't have anything in Elizabeth itself. I went back to Westfield, which was a bordering town. And, you know, the New Jersey area, I had some media, you know, like in the Star-Ledger and, um, you know, the New Jersey um, media there. One marketing plan fully deployed, one self-published author about to move some merch. What happened was um, the book, the e-book started to sell quite a bit. And um, I actually noticed that my... my uh, bank account was getting these deposits that I couldn't identify and I, <laughs> I was very worried and I I asked my husband what I should do because I thought they were going to come and get me because I was obviously embezzling money from somewhere that I didn't realize and it turned out it was uh it was the Barnes and Noble website that was uh the ebook was was selling quite a bit wow. um and at that point um I when it when it hit 14,000 books, I was freaked out and said, well, what should I do? And I started calling um, people that I had just met at the, you know, Southampton Stony Brook Creative Writing Program because uh, I was in the program. And I reached out to Kaylee Jones, who gave me great advice, and she said, that's a lot of books. She said, maybe you should call an agent. <laughs> wow. You know, wow. do you know any agents that might be interested? And then I and then I I wrote to uh, Dan Menneker, who was also very gracious and and helpful um, for his advice. And they were both saying, I think you should see if you can get an agent <laughs> now that the book is selling. So that's what I did. Um, you know, I went that route. I, I went back to an agent that I really liked a lot. And um, but who had declined the first Rita, time? Yeah, her, her name's uh, Rita Rosencrantz, and. Um, who had declined the first time, but I, I knew she liked it. And she, you know, she just was not, didn't want to take that leap at that point. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. I understood. So I told her what was going on, and we, she was interested, and we, we uh, did a proposal together, and she said, you know, I, I think I know a publisher that would be perfect for this. And um, she went and sold it in about a week, which was great. Wow. The seal press. So that was exciting. And that's what started my journey with Seal Press. That ebook started to sell quite a bit from Barnes & Noble. She might have only had shelf space in one store, 
but she gained her audience from their website. Do you have a sense of how the book started to finally catch fire through Barnes & Noble's website? Well, I, I do know that um, they, they chose it as a pick of the month, and I think that that's what, um, that's what set it apart. That, wow. um, that they decided that, and I had nothing to do with that. I, I mean, I know now um, publishers can, you know, do some kind of lobbying with, you know, Amazon and, and that kind of thing, but I, I certainly didn't even know about that and never did anything. And then, boom, Replacement Child has sold over 14,000 copies, and you're going to print then with Seal Press. Yeah. Yep. How did how does that then translate into becoming not not just author Judy Mandel, but New York Times best-selling author Judy Mandel? I don't know. <laughs> well, I you know, um I I have to say that it's a bit of luck because what happened last year or actually this past year was that I learned um that you know, um, the this story was also being used in a book, another book. You might have heard this already. That Judy Bloom was writing, and that she was using the backdrop of these plane crashes in Elizabeth, New Jersey, the you know the real life plane crashes, as the fiction as as the backdrop for her fiction. And I had no idea, and um, so I wrote to Judy Bloom, and she's been so nice to me. Um, very gracious, as you would expect Judy Bloom to be. And, um, you know, we talked about, she grew up in Elizabeth, and we, you know, we've we've been talking a little bit about, um, you know, that experience, although I was three when I left that town after the plane crash. Um, and anyway, um, I asked her if she had read my book, because she had said in one of her interviews that she started doing the research in 2009. And sure enough, she said, of course I've read your book. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> which, was, which was great. Of course, she was so nice. She said, of course I've read your wonderful book. What a great thing to say, Judy Bloom. And, um, and you know, she she put me in her acknowledgments of, in her book of her research and, you know, recommended people if they wanted to read about the real life story that this was a book that she would recommend. So I think That's that awesome. was... That was a stroke of luck for me, certainly. And um, that was, and her book came out in June. And there we have it. In a twist of fate, two authors begin writing about a plane that crashed some 50 years earlier, and they hit market around the same time. Judy Bloom's book, In the Unlikely Event, hit shelves in June 2015. One month later, The Replacement Child hit the New York Times bestsellers list. And, um, We've been kind of sharing reviews. I reviewed her book on Amazon, and um, many of the readers that have read my book have written to me and said, I'm reading Judy Bloom's book, and she says this, and made me think of your book, and, you know, back and forth. So that's kind of what has happened. One other thing sort of just happened for Judy. Turns out her sales on BarnesandNoble.com were no fluke. There's one other website she crushed it on. Can you guess it? I thought the highlight was going to be that it it had hit the number one. It had a number. It was the number one bestseller in nonfiction on Amazon. Was uh, it? 
Yep, it was. And when was that? Before, this was right before the New York Times um, bestseller list. And um, so I thought that was like the epitome right there, that it was number one. Oh, my and, God. I mean, I never, ever considered that that would happen. And um, and then this happened and kind of usurped that whole... <laughs> like, that whole all right, yeah, I got that away. Amazon thing. But, you know, New York Times, that's a bigger deal. A bigger deal indeed. But now she's reached an even bigger pinnacle, a guest on Writer's Comma Ice Cream about to take on the Ice Cream Challenge. So as you sit here, Judy, and eat your chocolate gelato, mm-hmm. I'm wondering if you could dazzle us with your descriptive abilities and describe the experience of eating the chocolate gelato. <laughs> That's <laughs> oh, okay. Wow. No oh, pressure. It's it's like sex, I think. It's uh you know, chocolate gelato. It's uh it just overwhelms your senses. It, I mean the chocolate itself is definitely it's like love. It's like it's like eating love. I love that. It's like eating love. That's fantastic. It's like sex. It's like eating love. Judy showed us the power of a simile, and she did it on the fly. Let's see this writer at work once more, but this time, we'll give her a chance to collect her thoughts. I'm sharing with everyone a visual prompt, and so it's um, the same photo that each guest will be seeing, and what I'm asking each guest to do is, if they wouldn't mind, I'm going to put five minutes on the clock, and they're just going to free write whatever comes to them, but try to tell a complete moment, whatever moment comes to them off of that visual prompt. And then I'm going to ask you to um, just read for us the first line and the last line. And then since you're not with me, if you'd be so kind as to just email me uh, whatever the full scene is that you have. Because then at the end of the season, I'm going to share with listener all (laughs) the visual prompts as well as all of the written prompts that the authors have done so that they can kind of themselves see how different people approach the same, the same problem. Okay. So I just sent it to your email, so if you want to check your email. Yep, I see it. Okay. So do you have any questions about the photo? Well, I have questions about the photo. <laughs> <laughs> then you are indeed looking at the right photo. Okay. <laughs> I'm going to put five minutes on the clock. Okay. Boom, you're on the clock. Happy writing. All right, Ms. Mandel, that is five oh. minutes. Okay. That was fun. All right, so how was that? That was great. <laughs> That's very good. All right, so hit us up with your first line. I looked over the top of the roof and saw the makeshift slide as the construction crew had left. Ooh, okay. All right. And the last line. I looked down, and of course, she was right there in front of the crowd. Oh, my God, that's a story that I want to read. (laughs) So, Judy, bring us into your process here. How did you approach this? Did you know the last line, the first line? How did you figure it out? I I just really looked at the picture and started writing what would be the most um, intense thing that, that I could picture myself doing, and that would be being on top of that building looking down at that slide. Interesting. And having somebody possibly goad me into into sliding down it. 
How did our resident memoirist tackle the prompt? By picturing herself in it and figuring out the most intense reason for her to be there. In other words, she found the conflict, which is what all good writers do, and what she certainly did in her memoir. The Replacement Child is available for sale online through Amazon and Barnes & Noble and at bookstores nationwide. Judy Mandel, an author who, in addition to her Amazon and New York Times bestseller rankings, earned another credit to her name this summer, a Master of Fine Arts from Stony Brook, Southampton. And Judy's just getting started. In addition to hosting writing workshops and retreats, she's currently revising her thesis for submission, a work of fiction this time. Listener, where do we go from here? What happens after that first book becomes a bona fide success? That's next time on Writers, Ice Cream, and a Career Change with Kathy Lin Chen. First, that probably had to be a real thrill to be getting calls from the media to do. Yeah, it was. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, not that anything can compare to the offer for an interview on Writers, Ice Cream. no. Yeah. This is this is that. actually the ultimate. <laughs> <laughs> You've reached it. It's a pinnacle. It's all downhill from there. <laughs>